Well, hey, good morning, students. Good to be with you again. Hopefully you have your Bibles, and uh, if you do, go ahead and find them and turn to Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. So Galatians 5, 16, and we'll work today all the way through the end of chapter 5. We only have two weeks left in the book of Galatians. I don't know about you, but I've been encouraged and challenged, uh, convicted, and um, just had a a greater sense of God's grace in my life, And, and I pray and hope that walking through Galatians for you has been helpful as well. Last week, we began going through the ethical section of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Remember, chapters 1 and 2 is kind of Paul proving his authority as an apostle. Chapters 3 and 4 are kind of the theological argument. And now chapters 5 and 6 are the ethical component, or how now should we live as believers who are trusting in Christ by faith. We were challenged last week to live in true freedom, to not live under the slavery of the law anymore, to abandon false doctrine and not to try to add anything to the true gospel, and to serve one another in love. That if we would just serve one another and love our neighbor as ourselves, that we're actually fulfilling the law that God calls us to fulfill. So this morning, we're going to be in the Uh, the second half of chapter 5, as Paul goes into the idea of walking and keeping in step with the Spirit and what a life that's full of the Spirit might look like. So we're going to read our text this morning. I have a couple things to say, and then we'll, we'll check out a couple of points here in this text. So let's start together, Galatians 5, verse 16. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray together. Oh God in heaven, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, you would help us to see and to know the truth of your word, that we would be transformed by the power of your Spirit, uh, that we would be encouraged and challenged to put our sins to death, to put away our old desires, And instead to pick up the things of God, to to walk in the fellowship of the Spirit, to live in the fullness of his power. Lord, I pray that we would see that this is a community effort. This is something that we do together as the body of Christ. And we would do so with unity and love and humility. We pray that you would help us to be transformed by the power of your word through the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul's big idea here is is walking with the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit. So maybe there's just a a main idea or a main purpose of this text that I want you to get this morning, and it's, it's this. Believers are called to put their flesh to death 
as they walk and flourish in the power of God's Spirit. Let me give that to you again if you're taking notes. Believers are called to put their flesh to death as they walk and flourish in the power of God's Spirit. We're going to break down all the things in that sentence as we go through the text this morning. But first, Paul's introducing us to a new charge here in verse 16, that we're to walk by the Spirit. And what does that mean? Well, it means that as Christians, you and I are called to live out our lives under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So we are no longer uh, the captains of our own soul. We're no longer the ones who ultimately make the choices in our life. No, we surrender our lives to the Lord and we're leading or we're following rather the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So where should you go to school or what job should you get? Now, those are decisions you should make, but you should make them with the leadership of the Holy Spirit, asking God the Spirit to give you wisdom. And look, there's actually a, an immediate result of, of, your, of what happens in your life when you walk by the Spirit. Paul says that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now let's not miss what's going on here. Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to the churches in Galatia, and he's saying, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. These desires that you still have. So as followers of, of Jesus, we need to know that it's good to be reminded that struggling with sin and temptation is not somehow an anomaly in the Christian life. So you're not a defective Christian if you're struggling with sin. You're not out of the ordinary of the Christian life when you're wrestling with sinful desires. We all still have the temptations and the desires of our flesh, these old desires from a, a life that did not know the love of Christ, that didn't believe the truth of the gospel. So as followers of Christ, adopted by God the Father and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are given the means to have victory over our temptations. And what's, what's the means? It's walking by the Spirit. It's, it's living our life underneath His rule and leadership. We can say no to temptation as Christians. We can live holy lives. Now, there are two ways of living, living in the flesh or living in the Spirit, and those two ways of living are opposed to one another. They're actually pulling us in opposite directions. Now, remember, when we say flesh and spirit, we're not talking about merely uh, physical bodies and our souls or our spirits. So we're not just making a, uh, we're not making a contrast between the physical and the spiritual. It's not as though our bodies are bad and our souls are good. The word flesh in this text is used to give us the idea of our sinful, self-centered lives that, that existed apart from the work of God that transformed us, right? It's, it's literally our old self. That's what our flesh is. And Paul knows that the Galatians and we have not completely overcome our sinful desires. The, the flesh is still around. It's still in us. And that's what he's saying in verse 17. Look again at verse 17. There at the end. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul knows that the, the churches in Galatia are filled with saints who are also sinners, who want to sin. There's still a, a desire in their heart to do wrong, to commit sin against God, to disobey his commands. And it's true for us as well, right? Every one of us still has sinful desires in our hearts. That's not what it means to, uh, to be a Christian, that all of those things are 
gone with once and for all. No, that's, that's going to happen in heaven. That's going to happen in glory. But for right now, we still have these sinful desires, this flesh that wars against us, and the Spirit is able to keep us from sin. So maybe you're aware this morning of some sin in your life. You may be thinking of maybe the last week and the kind of life that you lived, the kind of things that you did or didn't do. And maybe if you're honest, you would say, I'm really not following Jesus very faithfully. I haven't really been seeking the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Um, I've really been just kind of going my own way, doing my own thing. And if, if you're honest, as, as, as I am too, I think about the things that I've done, not done over the last week, and I hate, I hate the fact that I've dishonored the Lord. I hate the fact that I've disobeyed God. I hate the fact that I keep finding myself tempted with the same kinds of temptations, whether it's to anger or to to, to controlling a situation or to pride or whatever it is. So if you hate your sin, even though you still are struggling with sin, and you don't want to live this way, but your desires for sin are are still strong, then, then if that's you, listen to this encouragement from Phil Riken. He says this idea, what Paul's getting at, helps us to recognize that the spiritual life will always be a struggle. How can it be otherwise when our flesh desires what is contrary to God's spirit? We should not be surprised by sin, as if we expected God to make us perfect in this life. Nor should sin cause us to doubt our salvation. On the contrary, We are most aware of our sin when the Spirit is most active in fighting against our old adversary, sinful desire. In other words, what what Phil Riken is saying is, you and I, as Christians, will struggle against our flesh in this life. But you've been given the Spirit of God, who is everything you need to be godly and faithful. And he's able to transform you. Which is why Paul encourages you and me in verse 18 that if we're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. No more curse, no more slavery, no more impossible tasks. We are, we are no longer under the law. We are free in the Spirit. We can live in freedom through the Spirit's work in our life. Now, Paul wants us to see these two ways of living, life in the flesh and life in the Spirit, up close. So let's, let's focus in first on the works of the flesh. So if you're taking notes this morning, maybe the first point that you would write down is the works of the flesh. And we're going to see this in verses 19 through 21. Uh, now, we need to notice that Paul believes that a life that is uh, carnal or marked by sinful desires is evident. It is easily spotted. Look at verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Now sometimes you and I are good at hiding our sin. and Sometimes we give ourselves over to sins, but when we look at our own lives, we will know, right? It's evident in our own lives when we think about what we've done or what we have not done. So let's, let's walk through this list that Paul writes out that we may be more aware of what these sins are talking about, And unfortunately, we might see that this list of vices is more of a mirror into our own hearts than we want it to be. So we're going to look at these uh, different terms as groups. Uh, The first three terms all have to do with sexual sin, and that's sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Now, sexual immorality is just any kind of inappropriate sexual activity. It's, It's intentionally 
really broad, right? God has gifted you and me as male and female and has given us a sexuality, and that has been designed for the context of marriage, that we get to enjoy that aspect of who we are through the design that God has given us between a man and a woman. And anything outside of that would be considered sexual immorality. It would be considered this sin. Now, impurity is more along the lines of the aftermath of immorality. So how we, how we feel or how we might live or how we might think of ourselves after we've committed the sin of sexual immorality, this kind of uncleanness that we might feel. And sensuality has to do with our lack of self-control. It's, it's describing a kind of passion that a person has towards pleasure that's, that's improperly aimed. So these first three Uh, these first three sins all have to do with our sexuality. They all have to do with our bodies. Our bodies are important. Now, Russell Moore, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, he preached here at Lakeview one time, and, and he said in his sermon that because of our sinfulness, all of us, every single person, is in some way sexually broken, right? Our, that aspect of our lives has sin in it. And we need to recognize that fact. So if we run after the desires of our flesh as it pertains to our bodies, it will lead us into heartache and pain. Now we may feel pleasure on the way to destruction, but that pleasure is a cheap imitation for the good gift that God has designed for men and women. And Paul is saying if you run after the desires of the flesh, that's what it'll look like as it pertains to your bodies. So works of the flesh include sexual sin. But what else? Let's look at verse 20. The next two terms we see are idolatry and sorcery. Now, we've heard before in the youth, you've heard before at Lakeview, that idolatry is more than just worshiping wooden idols or stone idols, right? It's anything that we worship other than God. That would be an idol. And it can be ourselves, our work, maybe another person, uh, our comfort. Maybe it's the recognition and attention that we might want from guys or girls. Uh, Sports, video games. Anything our heart craves can turn into an idol. So you may think, okay, idolatry, definitely something I need to watch out for, definitely something I need to guard my heart against. But sorcery, I think, I've, I think I'm in the clear, right? Maybe, maybe you're thinking, this is a vice I do not have a problem with. I don't have a problem with witchcraft. I do not have a problem with magic. But let's look at it a minute. The word here translated sorcery is the Greek word pharmakia. Pharmakia. It's where we get the term pharmacy. So while it definitely includes the idea of magic and witchcraft, it also includes this broader idea of manipulating our circumstances for our own personal gain. So we use medicine, for example, to manipulate our bodies to make us feel better. And there's nothing wrong with that. If we're sick, we need to take medicine, we feel better. That's a good gift from God. But when we put our hope in something that will make our lives better, or that at least promises that it will make our lives better, then we're falling into the category that I think this sin is describing, this idea of sorcery or or pharmakia. So we may think of doing drugs or abusing alcohol or any other other kind of of self-medication that ends up being our God. We end up transforming our lives to revolve around that one thing. So if the first group of works of the flesh were sins regarding our bodies, then the second group of idolatry and sorcery are sins regarding our worship and our allegiance, 
that we would orient our whole lives towards these things. Next, the third group, we have eight terms all back-to-back that deal with our relationships with other people. These are social sins that will lead to communities being fractured. And these next terms, if we think about it in the context of the church where Paul is writing to, these are body-breaking sins. So let's just see, for example, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. These are all words that describe attitudes and actions that, that start in a person's heart towards someone else and lead to divisive actions. So when I don't get my way, or if someone around me succeeds and I don't, will I be angry in my heart? Will I be jealous in my heart? Will I be filled with strife or, or just that kind of pain and frustration that I'm not getting what I want? Or will I cheer them on in the ways that God has blessed them? There's a great example of this from a few years ago at a summer retreat. I'm not going to mention any names. It was a few years back. And we were playing a game where some different groups were competing. You guys were competing. It was split up by, by gender and grades, I think. And there was this game where uh, one of the students in each group had to do this competition. And the, this one group had a student who was just really struggling. Like he was just really struggling with the, with the game. Um, he, he was losing. He wasn't doing well. All the other teams were kind of racing ahead of him. And there was an older kid in that group watching. Like an older kid in that kid's group who was watching him struggle and losing. And he had a choice to make. He could have gotten angry with him. He was a younger kid, a junior high kid. He could have gotten angry at him because he wasn't doing it right, because it, he wasn't helping his team win or because he was causing his team to lose. He could have got jealous that the other groups had kids that were able to do the task or complete the challenge or whatever it was. But he didn't do either of those things. This student didn't get angry. He didn't get jealous. Instead, that older student came to that younger student as he was finishing up that round and encouraged him. He said, man, you did a great job. You tried really, really hard. You did great. You did awesome. He encouraged this younger student. This older student laid down his preferences of winning to being the best to show love to the one who wasn't doing really well. Now, here's, here's the point. I don't remember who won that game. I don't remember who won that challenge. But I will not forget the picture of love and encouragement between two brothers in Christ. And that kind of thing cannot happen if our hearts are full of jealousy and strife and enmity, fits of anger. That's what, that's what the works of the flesh will do. They will cause us to want to do harm to one another rather than to love one another. We keep going. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. So if there are two girls in the youth group who just cannot stand each other, right? They become rivals. They, they're back and forth. They're at each other's throats all the time. Ultimately, that rivalry will lead to dissension. It will lead to other people in the group wondering, okay, whose side am I on? Am I more of her friend or more of her friend? Am I on her side or, or am I on her side? And that dissension ultimately will lead to division where this one group wants nothing to do with the other group. And they begin to envy what one person has and what the other group doesn't have. 
The point is, students, a church will not survive for long if its members are full of division and factiousness and rivalry. So we have the works of the flesh that include false intimacy, these sins against our bodies, false worship, these sins against God as the one who is worthy of worship, and false community, that we're breaking down the society of the people of God that God wants us to be. The last two examples, and we see here in verse 21, of drunkenness or orgies, or the the word you may have is, is carousing, both of those words simply illustrate a life that is given over to the abuse and the perversion of God's gifts. So whether it's sexual sin or gluttony or carousing or or loose living or drunkenness, all of these sins, all of these categories have to do with the idea that we've just given ourselves over to our desires. We've given ourselves over. There's no self-control. There's no moderation. It's a lifestyle that's never content with what they have. The point is with these two sins is this. Our sinful desires and sin itself will always take us further than we want to go. And it may give us pleasure for a moment, but it will never, ever truly satisfy. Now, Paul includes the phrase, and things like these, here at the end of this verse. It's to say to you and me that this is not an exhaustive list of sins. It's not uh, the, the, the entirety of sins that we can commit. Surely we can add more to this list, things like stealing or lying or adultery, or murder. But the point remains in verse 21. Look at there with me. Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is not saying that if you've ever committed a sin that's included in this list, then you're banned from heaven forever. So, so if you listen to me teach through those, those terms and you think, oh my gosh, I've done this and I've done this and I've lived this way and I've had that kind of attitude, don't be, don't be discouraged, don't despair just yet. He's not saying that you've been banned forever just because you've committed one of these sins or even a lot of these sins. No, just like in 1 John, Paul here is saying that a life that is marked by habitual, unrepentant, uncontrolled sinfulness is actually just revealing that that's a life that has not been gripped by the gospel. So it's a call for believers to repent of their sin. And it's a call for unbelievers to realize that their lives of unrepentant sin is is at odds with the life of Christ or life in the spirit. So you may have a habitual sin in your life that you just hate. And you, you keep struggling with it. You keep wrestling with it. Maybe it's, maybe it's lust. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's obsessing over the way you look, which has turned into some kind of maybe a disorder or an addiction. I don't, I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's something I haven't said. Maybe it's something you know about as soon as I say that. The fact is Christians are not immune from struggling with besetting sins, from struggling with things that we just keep on struggling with. Listen again to Phil Riken. He says, you should heed Paul's warning that people who live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God, but you should not despair. The very fact that you are concerned about your spiritual condition shows that the spirit is at work. 
and that he will enable you to live a life that is more and more pleasing to God. So students, if you listen to me teach through that and you're like, ah, you know, my sin's not that big of a deal. It's, it's you know, it's, it's no biggie. It's not a problem. You know, I should keep on doing what I'm doing and God will forgive me and it'll be fine. If you have a, a really nonchalant, kind of ambivalent attitude towards your sin, brother, sister, you should be concerned. You should hate your sin. You should want nothing more than to do away with your sin. But student, if you're wrestling with sin and temptation, if you're wrestling with the desires of your flesh and you hate it and you fight it and you war against yourself with it and you, you're praying to the Lord to deliver you from these temptations, you're praying that God would get you out of those situations, if you're concerned about your soul and you're wondering, is my struggling an indication that I'm not really saved? Well, then student, you should be encouraged because the fact that you're wrestling with your sin is evidence that the spirit is at work in your heart. Your flesh is not wrestling against your flesh. Your flesh wants to do what the flesh wants to do. Your struggle is a result of the work of the Spirit. You should be encouraged in your struggle. So there is grace and hope for sinners like you and me. But we should repent. We should do away with the works of the flesh. Because in order to live in freedom, we don't just get rid of the works of the flesh. We have to live in the Spirit. And when we live in the Spirit, we produce the fruit of the Spirit. So if our first point was the works of the flesh, our second point here in verses 22 and 23 is the fruit of the Spirit. And let's not miss one really important fact here because I know this is probably a really um, um, a memorable or a, um, you're very familiar with this passage, the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe it's a couple of verses that you memorized when you were a child. But let's not, let's not miss some of the first words we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Students, you and I are totally dependent on the Spirit of God for these things to exist in our lives. We can practice faithfulness, work towards holiness, and say no to the desires of the flesh only as the Spirit empowers us to do so. We need God, we need the Holy Spirit to move in our lives as we work. It's kind of like sailing. You may have heard this before. It's, it's kind of like sailing on a boat. How do, you, how do you get from a point A to point B on a sailboat? You, you have sails and the wind blows and you go wherever the wind blows and you can direct it with your sails, but ultimately, if the wind's not blowing, you're not going anywhere. So for you and for me as Christians, we have a responsibility to be faithful to God. And being faithful to God is kind of like hoisting the sails. It's kind of like unfurling the canvas. But the wind that guides us and pushes us and directs us, that's the Spirit of God. You and I cannot make the wind blow, but we can be ready for when it does. And that's how we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Not because we're able to make the wind blow, but because we're being faithful to what God's given us as he empowers us to move forward. So let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. Paul starts here in verse 22 with love. And we saw last week that loving our neighbor as ourself is actually the fulfillment of the law. Love should be the controlling attitude and action of the Christian life. Your heart should be marked by love and your actions should be filled with love towards your neighbor. We give ourselves for the sake of others. 
It's what it means to love. It's what Jesus modeled for us when he laid down his life for us. That moves us to joy. Joy is this deep-seated contentment in life. It's this celebration of who God is and what he's done and what he's doing in our own lives. So even when we suffer or walk through difficult times, we can have joy. Peace, the next word, comes from our joy. So if our contentment is found in God, then we can withstand the trials of life and have peace. The good news of the gospel is through Christ, you and I have peace with God. And because we now have peace with God, we are now freed up to be peacemakers to one another. Next is patience. Patience is a commitment to God's sovereign rule over our lives rather than a belief that we have to be in control. So patience is the, the action, it's the attitude of trusting God more than ourselves so that we can be willing to wait. Kindness is a product of love. Kindness is our generosity towards others, even if they don't deserve it. How we treat one another should be filled with kindness. Goodness is connected to kindness. So kindness is how we are towards others, but goodness is just how we are. So we should be good people. We should be people who are good. Tom Schreiner says, those who have the spirit of God are strengthened to live lives of moral beauty and their decency or their goodness shines forth in a world blighted by evil. Isn't that wonderful? That to be filled with goodness, to produce the fruit of the spirit that's goodness, is to shine moral beauty in a world that's blighted by evil. Well, next is faithfulness. Faithfulness is trustworthiness. So spirit-filled people, faithful followers of Jesus, are faithful to keep their word. They're dependable to others. Gentleness is the demeanor that leads us to be encouraging to others. Like that story I told you from that older student. He was gentle with that younger student. It's the way a believer ought to handle conflict. We're not brash. We're not harsh. We're not heavy-handed. We're gentle because Jesus was gentle with us. And finally, there's self-control. Self-control is the discipline of resisting the desires of the flesh. It's, it's our power under control. So against these things, against this fruit of the Spirit, Paul says in verse 23, there is no law. There's no law. And so I think what he means here is that the law cannot coerce, it can't create, it can't force these heart-level attitudes in us. This fruit must be produced by the Spirit. A few weeks ago, Brother Al was preaching and he said something like this. He said, you can legislate morality, but you can't legislate love. I think that's the sense of what Paul is getting at. You can't work enough to produce a changed heart. It has to be the fruit of the Spirit. So these qualities, this fruit, is what grows when a believer is walking in the Spirit, led by his word. So the challenge for you and me as the people of God then is to take up this call from Paul to walk in the Spirit. But, but what does that look like practically? And that's our final point. So if you're taking notes, the third point this morning is living in the Spirit of Christ. Living in the Spirit of Christ. 
There's just a couple things we want to consider as we wrap up this morning. Two big areas of our life to be aware of as we grow in Christ-likeness or as we grow in our skill of walking in the Spirit. The first is a big term called mortification. Mortification. This is the idea of putting our flesh to death. And we find it in verse 24. So go there with me. Let's read. Paul says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Students, when we trust Christ, we are crucified with him and our old selves die with him. And now as followers of Jesus, we are now new creations in Christ. But the desires of the flesh still war against us. We've heard that all morning. So part of the Christian life is this practice that you and I must take up of constantly and continually putting our sinful passions to death. And I think Paul is really intentional about using the image of crucifixion when he's talking about putting our sins to death. There's a couple reasons. I get this from Phil Riken. He says, crucifixion is shameful. It's shameful. Our shame that we carry is because of our sin. So our sin fills us with shame, just like the crucifixion. So let's get rid of it. Let's nail it to the cross. Let's, let's be rid of our shame. Let's, let's believe Romans 8 that says there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. This crucifixion is shameful. It's also painful. It's painful. Putting away our sin is not easy, and it's not fun. We need to know that it will be a lifelong war, and it will hurt. It will be hard. It's difficult to have someone in your life call you to account for your sin. It's, it's hard and it's difficult and it's messy to have to deal with your desires that keep creeping up towards disobedience. It's painful. Next, crucifixion is gradual. When crucifixion was still practiced as a method of execution, it would take hours and even days for someone to die. It was an execution method that was long and drawn out. It was gradual. So here's the point, students. Uh, putting our sins to death will take time. It will take time. It's not an instant action. We don't just say, well, I'm done with that, and you're done with it forever. Now, the Spirit may give you that grace and, and praise God for that, but the, the normal rhythm of the Christian life is a gradual putting to death of our desires. So crucifixion is shameful, it's painful, it's gradual, but thankfully crucifixion is final. One day our sinful desires will be dead and gone once and for all. That's the hope that we have in walking with the Spirit as we put our sins to death. One day that work will be complete. So if mortification is putting our sinful desires to death, then what, what takes its place? If that's the negative aspect, then what's the positive aspect? And the term for this is called vivification, or bringing life into what needs to grow and flourish. This is what Paul calls in verse 25, keeping in step with the Spirit. Literally, following the steps of the Spirit. It's a military term that a commander would lead the way and the soldiers behind him would follow in his footsteps right behind them. 
in the same way you and I are called to keep in step with the Spirit. So how do we do this? We keep in step with the Spirit by walking in God's ways. So we practice spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting. We study God's word. We, we share the gospel. These are all these positive rhythms in our life that like water and sunshine will lead to some kind of fruit being produced. Students, we need to get this really clear. We're not pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Vivification or this, this idea of the positive aspects of walking with the Spirit is a life that is led by the Spirit's power and not yours. God is the one who changes us as we follow his word and his ways. Sinful desires are going to lead to conceitedness, provoking, and envy. That's what Paul says in verse 26 as he rounds out this chapter. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That's what the desires of the flesh will produce. But the Spirit will lead us to humble unity within the body. It's what I want for our church. It's what I want for you. It's what I want for me, that we would walk together in humility, that we would be united in the Spirit, that we would really recognize that we're all members of the same body. So student, let me remind you, let me encourage you, if you are in Christ, you have everything you need today to begin walking and keeping in step with the Spirit of God. It's not something that you get to do later on in spiritual maturity. It's not something you have to do uh, only when you're an adult. You can do it today, and you should. You, you're called by Christ himself through his word to walk in the Spirit. So let's walk. Let's keep in step with him together. Let's celebrate the wonderful fruit that he produces in our lives. Let's, let's celebrate when he puts our sin to death and he makes us more and more like him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would have your way with your people. That as the goldsmith takes away the dross from the top of the gold, in the same way you would remove the impurities from our lives. You would root out all of our hidden sins. That you would remind us and call us again to faithfulness, to holiness, to righteousness, and that you would remind us of your Spirit's presence in our life. That these, these calls, these challenges, these commands are not impossible. Not impossible for us anymore. Because God, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. You've given us the gift of the Spirit. So God, I pray that you would cause a, a passion in all of our hearts to burn for faithfulness to your word. Faithfulness to your commands that we would long to see the fruit of the Spirit produced in our lives, that we would hoist the sails so that you would cause the wind to blow and carry us closer into your heart. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen.